Amen. Hey, we're in week three of a sermon series called All In. God has blessed Grace Covenant with that blessing. We've told you comes the responsibility to multiply what we have, not to stand with clenched fists, but to be open-handed and bold for the mission of Jesus. He is, after all, coming back for us, so we are on a bit of a timetable, and we must be serious about the work that he has in store for us. We're to be good stewards of the time we have remaining. We're to be good stewards of the tasks, the skills that God has blessed us with to serve, and we're to be good stewards of the treasure that ultimately belongs to him, not to us. Being all in absolutely means taking risks for the kingdom. Being all in means raising up new leaders. Being all in means planting churches. Being all in means building new buildings in which to equip and out of which to send. Being all in has so much to do with a generosity of lifestyle. We're going to beat this drum all month long because often the opportunity for spiritual change comes at the intersection of both our faith and our finances. That being said, this series isn't primarily about what God wants to do through you, but it's rather what God wants to do inside of you, inwardly in your heart. I don't know about you, sometimes my heart can get out of alignment and it can need a bit of service. I can find myself starting to drift off the road and onto the shoulder, if not in the ditch, and I have to wrangle back my self-sufficiency, and I have to wrestle down my self-centeredness, and periodically the Holy Spirit just gets my attention and snaps me into gear, and I examine, I have to, what my priorities are. Priorities. Who's mission am I really living on? Whose work am I really about? In whom am I really trusting? This series, for that reason, may be, as it is for me, uncomfortable for you. How many of you might gather that being a living Sacrifice is a bit uncomfortable. We want to wiggle off of the altar, don't we? We don't want to see the crucifixion of self. We don't want to take up our cross and follow the Lord. We are of this proclivity about me, myself, and I. So today we're going to talk about your priorities. You're going to see God put Abraham in a couple of situations where he has to choose what is most important and foundational to him. It's not as if even he's choosing between something good and something bad. Abraham has to choose on occasion between two very good things. How many of you would say, that's been my experience in the faith. It's not always black and white. Sometimes it's really gray. We're going to see him in this condition today. Which good thing should come first? And these 
very subtle choices can often have dramatic impacts on how we live. Did you know that a plethora of leadership books say that establishing priorities is the most essential key to success? That knowing exactly what, not between good and bad things, but in a list of good things, which one ought to come first? We might say, which steps are mission critical? I have to ask myself that on a regular basis versus those things that are nice but are really non-essential. In the kingdom of God, this is especially true. I'm going to make, I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm going to invite you (laughs) to stand with me if you would this morning. We're going to read the word together This is a bit lengthy. I'll tell you in advance what we're about to read from Genesis chapter 13, beginning with verse 1 and ending in verse 18. So this has a high potential to be a train wreck, okay? So we need to focus. We need to be in unison and read like good Lutherans. The other thing I would tell you is that you'll see some proper nouns. You may or may not know how to pronounce them. When you reach such a place in the text, you just do what every good pastor does. You stand confidently, erect, and you pretend like you know what's going on. Don't let on to your neighbors, okay? That's just how we do this. So if you'll join me, we're going to read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13. Are you ready? All right, let's read. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. And Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and lots. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked 
and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. You may be seated. What Abraham does here is fairly unheard of. The average observer in those days would have thought of two likely outcomes. One would be war. This is, after all, the Old Testament. He is pitted against his own relative in, I should say, with considerable stakes at hand. Uh, The other, in addition to war, would be for Abraham just to say to Lot, here's where you need to go. Abraham was, after all, older. Abraham was uh, too richer. Abraham was the Batman in the relationship. Lot was the Robin in the relationship. But notice what happens. Abraham doesn't declare war. Abraham also doesn't assign Lot a place to dwell with his family. Rather, in a quite remarkably proposed solution, Abraham gives the lesser man the better choice. I was at my son Miles' basketball game, or rather his practice last Thursday night in China Grove, and I was watching the other half of the court where another team was practicing. There were some coaches that I was just particularly intrigued by, and all of a sudden, one of the coaches said something that delighted my heart. And if you grew up playing basketball, you'll remember this. He said, all right, who's going to be shirts and who's going to be skins? And I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I thought, surely by now there's a law against this or something. (laughs) So what do you think every boy on that half of the court wanted to do? Shirts or skins? Skins, you knew the answer to that question. Why do you know the answer to that question? Because you've played basketball, you've been given the option, and you know what you wanted to choose. Why did you want to choose skins? Because that's a cool thing to choose. Because you get to show off your muscles. Because you're not bound by fabric, by apparel. You get to live freely on the open court. This is something that you desire, that comes across appealing. Abraham basically says, you can have skins. Abraham says to Lot, his nephew, this is your choice where you live. How many people here have had a brother, grew up with a brother? Raise your hand. 
Do you remember what it was like to have a bucket of chicken brought home and there only be one chicken leg in the bucket? Every kid wants the chicken leg, right? So imagine if your brother would have turned to you and, and have said, which would have never happened, not only can you have the chicken leg, younger brother, but you can also have the last brownie, which is in the pan. Said no older brother ever in the history of child rearing. So Abraham effectively says, you can have your cake and eat it too. You have your choice on where to go. So we see here there is a contrast between two sets of priorities, two ways of looking at the world. Abraham's choices lead to increased prosperity, to multiplication, to blessing. Lot's choices lead to destruction. In fact, Abraham will have to rescue Lot twice from danger, one in the next chapter, one in chapter 18, just minutes before God rains down holy fire on these cities and the Jordan Valley. And that was where Lot lost all of his possessions. In fact, that was where his wife turned into, if you could imagine this, a pillar of salt. So why don't we look at the value systems of these two men? I think you'll find that they're juxtaposed. They're very different. First, We'll look at Lot. Lot prioritized riches. Lot prioritized riches. When Lot looked out at the options and Abram said, take your pick, he made his choice based on one factor and one factor alone. Which direction will make me wealthier? Which direction will make me richer? And hear me out. Financially, he made a killer choice. I mean, this was the place to be. But in the process, he showed absolute disregard for spiritual things, even disdain for spiritual things. After all, Lot knew God. Lot worshipped God. So why take the time to pray or talk to God or consult God in his choice? Lot just makes his home right next to a place called Sodom. Sodom was notorious for its wickedness. Lot put his whole family in spiritual danger because Sodom was where all the money was to be made. And you'll see that these choices play out tragically if you read ahead in the family in chapter 13 he moves next to Sodom we just read that in chapter 14 he's no longer next to Sodom where is he he's in Sodom in chapter 19 we read that he's one of the most respected men in Sodom and eventually when God calls him to get out his wife is so in love with her own material prosperity and way of life that she can't leave it behind God turns her into salt her thought was I love you honey but I like my standard of living more 
You're sweet, honey, but that's where all the comfort is. Church, God sometimes, please don't mistake my point, calls people to live in Sodom. There are people who are called to Las Vegas, Nevada. There are people who are called to the coasts. There are people who are called to reach the lost everywhere. God absolutely calls his people to live in Sodom. That is true. I I say that even in reference to East Lincoln this morning. No, I'm just teasing. I'm not going to. We love those folks over there, including Pastor David, who's a riot. The point isn't that you shouldn't live in places with sin. How many of you know sin is everywhere? The point is that you need to prioritize God and his ways over material ways. That's the point. Let's bring this home. Some people have jobs that are terrible for their families. Some people have jobs that leave no time for their spouse, that leave no time for their children. But it pays for the lifestyle that they've always wanted. So they keep the job. What's the number one cause of divorce in our society? Money. Number one, finances. They uh, are couples, there are couples, excuse me, with kids where, where both parents work, not because they feel called to it, which is totally and wonderfully acceptable, but not because really it's their wisest use of, of time or gifts, but because simply two incomes are what is required to meet their standard of living. See? to pay for the lifestyle that they really want. I know parents whose kids, I'm going to bark up a tree. Are you ready? They're never involved at church because they're so committed to dance or to gym, gymnastics, or to sports. You name it. Um, we're not immune to this in the Burris family. Listen, I get it. Our kids have, have been involved to date, and our oldest is 11 in wrestling, basketball, baseball, dance, gymnastics, swim. As they get older, I'm told it's going to be even more difficult, this pull between what culture tells you to do and what God tells you to do. It used to be that Wednesday nights were sacred. They are no longer sacred. We didn't used to have scholastic events or sporting events on Wednesdays. Now we do. There's constant competition. That being said, I've faced the fact that I will not likely have a pro athlete in my family. Part of that is because I'm five foot ten and a half, and the half inch matters to me very much. (laughs) I enjoy rounding up on many of occasions. My sons are following that trajectory of height, I should say, that trajectory. (laughs) Why would I sacrifice spiritual things for material things?
Most likely, none of them are going to be earning a living in, in sports. All of them are going to stand before the Lord of hosts and have to defend their lives. Why wouldn't I prioritize that? Why wouldn't I invest in that? Parents, don't care more about where your kids go to college than you do where they spend eternity. What good is it if your child becomes a leading man or woman in Sodom but loses his or her soul? Again, it's not that any of these things are wrong. Please don't leave with the the wrong impression. It's simply a matter of priorities. Second, Lot prioritized self interest. Lot prioritized self-interest. Lot's primary concern in where he pursued his career was where he could make the most money. That didn't turn out well for him. Lot chose what was best for him, even though in this case, he actually had to wrong his uncle Abraham in order to get that very thing. Uncle Abraham clearly should have been given the better choice. You talk about generosity. Lot is miles away from a generous heart. He thinks about the prosperity of one person in his decision making. Who is that? Himself. Consider this. What is the primary factor? So many of you have moved from other places. We are so glad you're here in our church family. We have something like 30 plus nations represented. What a beautiful thing. We're so glad you're here. What is the primary factor in the career that you have chosen or in the place that you have lived? Might I suggest letting the kingdom of God be the greatest factor in your choice? Might I suggest that it's my heart's desire to see Lake Norman actually increase in population because people want to be part of Grace Covenant Church. They want their kids to be raised here in this community of faith. We've got to have a job somewhere. Why not choose to have a job in a place where God is doing something strategic? Let's talk about Abraham. Abraham prioritized the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Abraham's question wasn't, where is the best land Abraham's question was, God, where do you want me to go? 
I'm yours, you're mine, where do you want me to be? Did you notice in verses three through four, his first act coming into the new land was to build an altar. He settles into the new land by asking God what God wanted to be wrung out of his life. In fact, when he got there, he went to this place called Bethel where he previously had heard God speak and he effectively said, God, the first thing I need from you is to speak. I need to hear you, Lord. Tell me where to go. Tell me what you want out of this chapter of my life. Abraham thought about God first. Abraham thought about God most. Not only in the decisions he made, in what he does with his blessings and victory. In fact, in the next chapter, 14, we won't take time to read it. Lot's going to get captured by the kings of Sodom, and Abram's going to have to do this incognito, stealthy rescue of his nephew. And he mounts this incredible rescue operation where against these mountainous odds, God leads him to victory. And in the process, he ends up with all of these spoils and riches from the kings who had attacked his nephew Lot, which makes him even richer. The very first thing Abram then does with all of this newly acquired loot is to give 10% to a man named, a mysterious man named Melchizedek, who God has lined up in this priestly role. Not only was God Abraham's first thought and his decision-making process, he was the first place Abram turned to to say, thank you, when God gave him a victory. Because Abram recognized God You are to receive the first fruits of everything I've received. Church, did you know that everything you have comes from God? It is not by your good looks. It is not by your sense of humor. It is not by your grit and elbow grease. It is not by your brains. It is by his power, declares the Lord. Everything, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change, aren't you glad? Like shifting shadows. Secondly, Abraham prioritized generosity. Abraham actually thought about himself third in this decision. Who do you think of first? God, who do you think of second? Lot, his nephew. Who do you think of third? Himself. Lot was a second priority. Abraham was third of Abraham's priorities. And because of that, guess who thought about Abraham's needs? God did. Might I posit that it matters that God thinks about your needs. Listen to what Proverbs 19, 17 says. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. The Lord will reward him for what he's done. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says, 
One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly but comes to what? Poverty. Church, which man exemplifies your life? Lot or Abraham? And I share a story with you in closing. Several years ago, our church underwent a capital campaign to build a building, and we were so fired up. It was just like a spirit of generosity struck contagion in our ranks and spread like fire among our people. And we were so excited, but I remember it being uh, tremendously stretching for everybody involved, not just the Burrises. And I remember Shannon coming up to me and saying, Zach, do you remember so-and-so? Of course I remember so-and-so. She says, they're trying to get pregnant and they haven't been able to have a baby. And they don't have money for infertility treatments. They can't even find the cash for a consultation. And I'm wondering if we could possibly fund for them the consultation. And I said, honey, we're, <laughs> this is my <sighs> faulty logic. Honey, we're in the middle of a generosity initiative. How could we be generous? <laughs> and we prayed about it, and God led us to pay for this consultation of our friend and her husband. And do you know that within one week of this consultation, she found out she was pregnant? So after I asked him for my money back, I was <laughs> Of course I didn't do that. But do you know what God taught me in that moment? He knew they were pregnant. When he placed it on our hearts to give. It wasn't about what God was trying to do through us, which I was naive and prideful enough to believe. It was what God was trying to do inside of us. What is God doing inside of your heart? If we're going to be all in for the Lord, where do you need to grow? What has God asked you to do that you haven't done? Where has he led you where you haven't followed? What has he challenged you in that you've bucked him on? What has he spoken quietly that the distractions in your life have made you unable to hear? Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord, 
that like Abraham, we would go without knowing where you're leading. Lord, I pray that our trust in you is so profound, is so sincere, that the condition of our hearts is, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, that I will do. That there would not be disobedience, that there would not be delayed obedience. Lord, that we would just say, here I am, Lord, I'm yours. I'm all in. Lord, I pray for any family here that is on the edge of a rocky divorce because they've placed standards of living over their own family. God, that you would reveal to them this vice, this idol, so that they would crush it and opt for your will and your way. Lord, help them to see clearly. Lord, help us all to prioritize the things of the kingdom. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's veered into the ditch regarding sports or even academia and college, God, that you would bring us back to hearts that desire you to hearts that want to see our our kids, the next generation and the third generation, adore you, treasure you, savor you, Lord. Lord, in this new year, that you would cause us to love what you love and to hate what you hate. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. There's communion elements available for you this morning if you'd like to come down and partake. There's also folks here available to pray for you if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and would like to become a Christian. Otherwise, we'll see you soon. God bless.